0: As it's January, naturally we're having a shotgun wedding, but sadly you're unwelcome
1: on the plane to Babylon. I'm Van Conner. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is off screen your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Well, hello then and welcome back to the show. We are going to start with some brand new movies out this week, as we always do. Um, We are going to start with, well, (laughs) what a thing to start with. Murderous Goblins in a movie called Unwelcome. So talk to me about this, Van. The thing is, you know when you say it's about murderous goblins, it's almost a spoiler. Like I
0: feel like the poster for the movie is almost a spoiler because they, they're kind of coquettish about this. They play it quite coy. So if we go if we go by the sort of synopsis and, and the way it, it, it's folded out to us as the audience. So this stars Douglas Booth, who I think, is he, he might be one of the Gossip Girl guys. He kind of looks like one of the Gossip Girls guys. I remember him from the, the Romeo and Juliet adaptation we had about five years ago. And uh, Hannah Johnson Kamen from Ant-Man and the Wasp they are a young London-based couple. They're trying for a kid. They live in a sort of you know, vaguely gentrified tower block that's surrounded by the typical urbanite London criminal element where they get hassled all the time by people in hoodies because you know, it's one of those movies. And after a violent assault, it so happens that Douglas Booth's Irish aunt passes away like, not long after, or she passes kind of around the same time. And she leaves them. uh, her house, to which given, you know, after a few months, she's heavily you know, uh, Hannah John Cayman is heavily pregnant, they decide, for our safety, let's just go there. You know, understandable, it's quite a violent assault, like it's quite brutal It's, it's quite traumatic to sit and witness if you've ever been through any violent crime, it's horrible to sit and watch. And so they they they, you know, they move to Ireland and they go and they, they check out the house. It's a bit run down. It needs some work done, and so they hire a local family, uh, run by the, they've got the patriarch played by Colm who insists on everybody calling him Daddy, in that exact <laughs> one. No, no, no. Call me Daddy. Which, if you're a Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan like I am, because I think Deep Space Nine is still to this day the best of all the Star Treks. Hearing Chief O'Brien endlessly tell everyone "Call
1: me Daddy" is just <laughs> creepy.
0: Um, you've also got his three kids. Okay, so you've got you know you've, you've got a daughter and two sons. One of the sons is Hodor from Game of Thrones. Do you remember Hodor in Game of Thrones? The big guy, hold the door, hold the door, Hodor. Yeah. Hodor. Yeah. And, so, you know, and then they're not the best of workers and they've got a bit of a lackadaisical attitude to, you know, working on the house. And this this starts to grate on Douglas Booth a bit, who's, who's having, you know, he, he's having trouble processing both the events of, you know, back in London and this new source of conflict in his life. This also leads... Funnily enough, into a local sort of, well, I would say urban legend, but there's nothing urban about where we're sat. We're very, very rural. A rural legend about a bunch of mythical creatures, goblins, as you just so eloquently put, known as redcaps. Whom, it okay. turns out, Douglas... Is, and you say, you'll say you probably hear this in the clip, anyway. Um, Douglas Booth's late aunt used to appease every night by going out and just leaving a blood offering, a small piece of liver for them, every night, to appease them so nothing bad could happen. And would you believe it? All of these constituent elements... Yeah, they're going to come to a head very quickly. Have a listen.
1: They've wanted to keep the place in your family, Jamie.
0: We really appreciate the house.
1: Well, then, you know, it's got a
0: hole in the roof. Don't they'll do a good job. Jamie, there. you just carry on with your day as if we weren't here.
1: There is one thing I need to show you, and it's a little bit peculiar. Every evening before
0: sunset, she'd leave a blood offering here. Sorry, did you say blood? For who? For the Red Caps.
1: There's part of me that doesn't know whether to take this as a serious horror-like alien or whether there's a tongue-in-cheek kind of comicky, comical side to this as well. It, I mean, to be honest, it runs the gamma. So this thing starts off
0: effectively playing like kind of like Eden Lake meets Straw Dogs kind of a thing, almost with a bit of the hallow in there as well, especially with the Irish element there, because it a bit of Corin Hardy's influence from the hallow yeah. uh, in there, especially the way that sort of the forest and the wildlife is sort of, sort of introduced into that. But it very quickly gives way to something I could best describe as a sort of Stan Winston-influenced version of the Puppet Masters once you start introducing, as you say, the goblins or the red cats. And about the point that it throws the hammer down, as I like to say, uh, all bets are off. This thing goes wild. It's brilliantly gory. It's it, it's kind of jumpy, you know, especially in the third act. Um, but prior to that, through the introduction of the Wheelan family, you know, uh, Chief O'Brien, as I keep calling him, uh, called Meany, um, who I just. By the way, massive shout-out to Cole Meany, because Cole Meany never, ever gets the love that he deserves. Like I say, he was Chief O'Brien in Star Trek, and he did that for seven years. Prior to that, he was on Star Trek Next Generation. as the same character. He was so popular as a background character that they upscaled him for the spin-off. And he's always been a fan favourite. But outside of that, you always feel like Cole Meany never gets his due. I remember the director of The Englishman Went Up A Hill and Came Down a Mountain famously referred to him as the Celtic Girard Depardieu. And it's a but- description I think still very much fits him, except I would argue that Meany is doing better in his, his older years than Girard DePardieu is. For one thing he's never got drunk on a plane and nearly crashed it. But outside yeah. of that, I think that you know he, he's the he's at the forefront of a really great cast here. Douglas Booth I always thought it was kind of a pretty boy actor, never really had much going. For it. I know he has literally done Shakespeare for the screen, but was never an actor that particularly wowed me. Here, I think really has something going. It's interesting as well to know that he's—he's—you know—he's—he's he's physically gone quite doughy for this. You know, he's piled on the pounds. He's got kind of the the, the dishevelled beard and the sort of you know the, the scruffy kind of look going on. Hannah John Kamen, as well as I—I I, you know I know her primarily as a Marvel villain. So seeing her here, I think she actually has got a lot going as well. Um, Hodor. I've got, I, I got to single out Hodor, whose name I didn't know until just now, incidentally, is uh, Kristen, uh, Christian Nan. I think is really good in what's not a really showy role. It, it, it's quite a truncated role but makes a big impact. But it is all about those effects. It's all about those red caps. And the way this thing builds atmosphere, the way that this actually builds the suspense, and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, the terror, I think works incredibly well. Um, Written by uh, Mark Stane, directed by... uh, 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 Sorry... uh, Written by Mark stay uh, directed by John Wright, because I kept confusing him with Joe Wright all the way through this. Joe Wright, very, very different actor. Uh, actor very, very different director. You know, did uh, Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, yeah. things like that. Like, don't confuse the two. Uh, I think, again, we're talking about a real calling card here. It's worth noting as well. I saw a certain other film that I'm not going to talk about yet, right before this. Came out of the cinema... Put on Twitter. Thank God that I saw unwelcome after this because it washed away the bad taste of that other film. <laughs> props, props to writer Mark Stave. I mean, the first person to jump on and retweet that. I don't know if he was monitoring. Did he really? The, he really? I don't know if he was monitoring the hashtag or something. we must because it was like literally within seconds. So, props off to him. Because I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd had a few by that point. I'm not going to lie. Um, I needed to. After the first film, we will get to that. But yeah, this. Bags of fun. You're as terrified as you are amused. You are in as much suspense as you are just on a thrill ride for lack of a better term. It's a movie and you do, there's a certain fork in the road, a twist in the tail that you can kind of see coming from early on but the way that this builds its mythology early on and builds itself into that legend, that it sets up the legend of something that's actually quite bonkers down the road. I think is incredible. I think this was really slick. I've seen a lot of sort of early career starting horror films. Obviously, doing this gig for so many years, this one genuinely impressed me.
1: I'm hearing gremlins for the 21st century here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not quite
0: as cute and fuzzy as gremlins. There's no gizmo <laughs> to be found in this. To be fair, but it's it, it, it slightly more. Imagine evil Dobby, for lack of a better. So imagine Dobby the bitter as hell house elf. brilliant you know he's got a carpet knife kind of a deal and you're you're vaguely (laughs) on the right right angle with this really goes there by the time this thing goes full-blown gremlin style slasher i was i was strapped in gripping the armrest going yes bring it i'm in it's a movie that really makes you hate its antagonists but at the same time even though you know say these weren't actors that i was especially won over by in advance i had no Pre-existing, like sort of, you know, kind of, you know, acclamation to liking these actors. It was sharp writing and and solid performances that brought me into this. But more than anything, it was really well 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 done, solid filmmaking that won me over. I think.
1: Wow, that sounds like a a really good one to go and see, and it does sound like the sort of thing I would like to watch as well. So um, that's uh, that's a good one. Uh, Unwelcome. So that is out in cinemas from today. Uh, We're going to be back in just a few minutes, well straight away actually because it's a podcast. Uh, So we are going to be talking about, uh, it's a coming of age story isn't it January? No there are several films named January, no this one is
0: the horror movie. Oh right, okay it's not the one I'm thinking. It is also a a (laughs) black and white Bulgarian horror movie so brace yourself, we're
1: about to get weird. We'll be back in just a sec. Hello and welcome back then. Sticking with some more brand new movies that are out this week, uh, we are going to talk now about January, which is out in cinemas and on demand from today. So as you just mentioned then, this is a black and white horror movie.
0: It is a black and white Bulgarian horror movie, would you believe? Which I thought was a nice, tight and tidy ninety-minuteer going into it, and it turned out to be like just shy of the two-hour mark. So I was a little intimidated when I started it, and then as it began and it is, you know, it's black. And white. Oh god, it's gonna be the lighthouse again, isn't it? Do you remember the lighthouse a few years ago? Oh, I think I did see that actually. Yeah, that was really cheesy from my memory. Oh, no, no. Very, the, the exact opposite. That was just really morbid. It was Robert Eggers. Oh, no, was, it's not the one I've seen then. <laughs> I think that was his last one prior to doing The Northman, which you may remember I'm a huge fan of. Um, yeah. I will say, like The Lighthouse, this also begins with two men in a very isolated uh, location with a small animal, you know, just, just dealing with loneliness. So, as I just said to you when we were off mic, um, I, I can't do this plot. Any more justice than to simply read out the IMDP profile the IMDB synopsis for this. Okay. Two men and a bird, trapped in a snowstorm in the middle of nowhere, try to solve a mystery while it slowly devours them. (coughs) (laughs) That's like that's as bad as snakes on a plane. dare you diss snakes on a plane <laughs> i'm a huge am a huge huge fan of snakes on a plane i was asked at university once what is the greatest title any movie ever had and i said snakes on a plane yo they went well and, and the lecturer genuinely explains me what is the plot of snakes on a plane i told him and so it's literally snakes on a plane i went yes and he goes okay i i can't argue that fair enough um it's also that's what it a- says on the tin yeah, I mean you can't really argue that. I mean this—I presume this does take place in January because it's in the snow. Bulgaria, I would imagine, has snow in January. Yeah. So I should explain—they're in that isolated location. The whole thing is that you know, more you know, uh, they get more people come and join them in this isolated location as they try to go into town one by one. The cart, the sort of uh, mule and cart that they try to take into town, returns to them every time without the man on it and only a frozen wolf in his place and one by one they simply collect these frozen wolves as they keep trying to go for yeah it's it's absolutely deranged it's one of those moves there's no clip for this obviously I don't think any of us speak Bulgarian especially, yeah. but uh, my, my, my mate's partner is Bulgarian. I, sh- I should have asked her to come and join me for this one, actually, because I didn't watch this on links. So I should have gotten around to come and watch it with me. It would have been an interesting perspective to have. I'm going to ask Susie. If, I, might, I might see if I can get to watch it with me over the weekend or I'd something. I'd
1: be interested to know the opinion that she has if she's Bulgarian. It would be very I interesting. I would
0: genuinely, yeah. It'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? Yeah. So um, this is uh, uh, written and directed by, uh, by Andrei Paunov. I think it's based on his play as well. Co-written, with Alex Barrett, and it's, like I say, a very atmospheric... It's not something you enjoy you more or less just survive this. It is an ordeal. It's very isolating. It's a very insular film. In the way it absolutely captures the, the ominous atmosphere of being like just alone in a cabin at night as it just blazes with snow around you and you don't quite know what's out there. In terms of movies that absolutely capture the feel of what they are trying to put across, this is actually kind of a banger. It's very, very vague, though. You know, it's it's one of those, it's a horror movie, but not. It just might appeal, actually, to the kind of elevated horror crowd, for, for lack of a better term, but not in that kind of a lot more coherent way that we're used to with, say, an A24 movie, where there is usually a thematic resonance to this. This is a lot more abstract. This is a lot more... Kind of like let's just file down the lighthouse and make it slightly creepier until nobody has a clue what's going on, and we can just make them jump when we want to. I will say the performances in there, particularly Samuel uh, Finzi, I think, in in the lead. It's worth noting that none of the characters have names; they are specifically referred to by descriptors. So even if you go by the IMDb listing, they're only going with the descriptors. So uh, Samuel Finzi is the porter. Isaf um, uh, Sergadev is the old man, and then the other characters you have like twins and the priest and things like that. And they're really never defined past that. It is just strangers encountering
1: one another. That's odd, though, isn't well. it? Isn't that odd for a movie to do that? Because doesn't that doesn't that stop you from investing emotionally in what's going on? Because there's no name, there's no personality.
0: Well, you know, you say that. I have a bar of soap on my shelf from the movie Fight Club and I, I defy you to try and tell me what Edward Norton's name is in fact do you remember do you remember no. Edward Norton's no because he doesn't have a name in the script he is simply referred to all the way through as the narrator the closest we ever get in Fight Club to a name for that character is Jack and that's only because he keeps reading those books where it says I am Jack's disease yeah. colon and things like that he, the character has no name it does happen periodically you get characters don't forget Clint Eastwood you know in the iconic westerns was simply the man with no name he had no name it's not unheard of to actually have characters who simply remain anonymous all the way through, as long as the performance is there.
1: I was about to say that. If best, the performance yeah. is there, then it can. I suppose it can slip through the net and I suppose you then invest in them as... Whatever they are, the porter, I suppose.
0: Well, I mean, we're going to talk about a Gerard Butler movie in like ten minutes' time. It's worth noting: no Gerard Butler, no Gerard Butler character in any film ever has actually needed a name. They can simply go through any movie being referred to as "Ha, Gerard Butler" or "Good old Jerry," as I like to call him. So it's neither here nor there. It's one of those things, isn't it? Like, you know, naming's yeah, that's uh, it's, it's like context is for kings, names is for kings. I will say though. I think for that elevated horror crowd, this is absolutely unmissable stuff. I think outside of that, though, and we are talking about the more deeper-trenched cardigan-wearing kind of members of that crowd, I think outside of that, this is going to struggle to find an audience that won't turn it off in 10 minutes. If you can stick through it, though, and admittedly it's slightly overlong, uh, like, say, an hour 50, an hour 50 and 38 seconds, I'm being specific, um, you can stick with it, there's some there's some good there's some goods on display here i think in particular very well directed the cinematography is incredible but performance is absolutely chilling and the 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 imagery that it that it presents particularly of those frozen wolves as they start to stack up one by one that's something that'll stick with you
1: it's the whole movie in black and white then from start to finish absolutely start to finish not a shred of color to be found and would that change the movie much if it was in colour for you? Well, not for me. I actually
0: think the black and white adds to it because it creates that isolation, particularly with it being sort of just in, in this blizzard, in this snow. Because you can imagine how that works with the visual palette. Mm. It really it, it brings down quite a, a blinding sensibility to it. But at the same time, being kept in this darkened shack, it helps with that atmosphere, definitely
1: well there we go that is january um which is in cinemas and on demand from today so we are going to be back very soon uh, we're going to be talking about babylon and also shotgun wedding which one of those two was the one van was talking about earlier that was really bad i'm assuming it's one of those two and not what we're doing later but we'll find out we'll be back in a minute hello and welcome back to off screen we are sticking with a couple more new movies actually Babylon which is out in cinemas today so this stars Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. It does indeed, amongst
0: many others, because it's one of those movies about movies. You know, that has to have a huge sweeping ensemble cast and we weave in and out of their lives and their various little plot threads. And this is particularly at the point in which Hollywood is making that transition from silent films over to talkies. So, you know, kind of on the cusp of the early 1930s. I think this pretty much goes through the 1930s. But our primary POV character is played fittingly enough by something of a discovery because the movie is all about like discovering stars and um, uh, whiplash director Damien Chazelle seemingly has found his own star in here in the form of Mexican director Diego uh, Mexican director Mexican actor uh, Diego Calva who then sort of as part of the plot does become a director that, that's kind of where I've gotten confused there um we are introduced to him encountering Margot Robbie early on. And we might actually introduce to him that way. I'll get to it in a minute as to how it actually introduced to him, because, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> he meets Margot Robbie early on, then encounters Brad Pitt, gets taken under his wing, finds his way into, you know, the 1930s studio system, the, the grand old days of Hollywood, and literally works his way up the ranks until he is literally a director himself. Um, it's a very frenzied, very fast-paced very long and bonkers film. It's wild. It's excessive. It's all over the shop. It's messy as hell. It's Damien Chazelle. Have a listen, and I promise you this clip is, oh, it could not be any more emblematic of everything to be found in Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Medicine, medicine. Next time, try softer, okay? But why, my darling Pierre? Why? What? What? Hey! Move that microphone 45 degrees, okay? That one neutral, okay? No. no, 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 no. Hey, amigo, it's not Manuel, it's Manny. Manny Torres, okay? Yeah. Okay, 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 vamos, vamos, ya, 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 vamos! Let's roll, people! Let's go! Take two.
1: That sounds hectic, to say the Get least. Out.
0: Yep, and the film is. It's very, very hectic. Okay, so within about five minutes of this film, we're at our first coke-fueled, orgy-like party, and we pretty much stay there for all of this, and it is three hours and nine minutes long. Whoa. This thing never lets up. Um, A friend of mine, uh, Casey, saw this uh, before I could. She got to go to one of the uh, the glitzy premieres they, they they put on. for This is worth it. And obviously, I'm blacklisted from Paramount, so I I, uh, I didn't get to see, like, see this on my mm. own accord. By the way, this is the movie that I saw before Unwelcome. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. This is the movie I was talking about that I saw before Unwelcome. So I was already basically lulled into a coma before seeing Unwelcome and I needed cheering up. Um, it's long. That opening sequence, the opening five minutes, literally involved Diego Calva's character being introduced to us as a man is bathed in elephant feces and yeah, and from there, yeah, kind of get the tone of what to come, what's to come. There's a lot of bodily fluids to be found in Babylon, which doesn't match with the Babylon I remember from the Eternals, but okay. <laughs> um, Margot Robbie uh, being cast at this seems almost like a meta joke because the film, in and of itself, almost seems like this grand, sweeping statement about the career of Margot Robbie, this overnight star who is then put into everything which is literally what happened to margot robbie you've then got brad pitt who's this sort of almost over the hill or is he movie star you know from the glorious heyday of when they needed movie stars which is what brad pitt is except in our case the real brad pitt you know obviously is still one of the great movie stars to an extent i would argue he's not quite Tom Cruise, but still. And then you've got Diego Calvarez, you know, sort of the nobody, the interchangeable hunk, who's sort of working his way through, you know, jobbingly. And on that level, this absolutely works. When I talked about this with Katie afterwards, because she'd seen and she, I, I, I had to compare notes with her afterwards, and I said, Do you know what? There is a really good two-hour movie to be found in this. The problem is, the movie is three hours and nine minutes long. That's that's a lot of fat to trim off of this. And you do think, well, again, this is a director who only rears his head around awards season. And that's mm. a very similar complaint to what I had with First Man a couple of years ago. As well, to a lesser extent, La La Land. I still think that Damien Chazelle's only really solidly great movie is Whiplash, um, for which we actually have a companion piece at this year's Oscars in the form of Tar, which is effectively Whiplash for people whose descriptor I would give another W word, if I'm being really honest. (laughs) I'll I'll let you fill in the blank on that one. But this one, I I just feel like you you need to trim about 70 minutes out of this. It's got a great ending that does fit alongside the fablemans, if we're going with, you know, movies about movies this year. I think its star factor works incredibly well. I think it's just really excessive and really messy. And this is where Casey and I really agree, that the word messy... Seem to be the best descriptor of it. Having said that, it's incredibly well directed. I mean, it's excessively directed, but it's really slick. It's really stylish. As you can hear from the clip, Justin a score absolutely romps through this. You know that da 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 da. Yeah. You know you're bomb, You're literally bopping as you as you're watching this movie. The problem is after three and a bit hours. That's a bit exhausting, you know, as you're bopping along with this jazzy soundtrack. Um, It's a lot of energy to have to maintain for the amount of time that you are asked to maintain it. And even the adrenaline that Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie bring to this is worth There's a hell of a little cast that goes in there. Gene uh, Smart, for instance, uh, is in there. You've got, as I say, um, just a cracking supporting cast. Uh, Jimmy Ortega, I think, is in there as well. Uh, Sa- uh, Samara Weaving, Sam Weaving is in there. And for me, it was just great to see Samara Weaving and uh, Margot Robbie get to share the screen at last, given that they are so often confused to one another. In that Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, uh, jeffrey d morgan javier bardem kind of a way where everyone just mistakes them for each other or or timothy oliphant and uh, and, and uh, what's his name josh demel incidentally which uh, you know leads us to our next movie but let's just say babylon does not quite live up to its promise it certainly does not live up to the promise of the title babylon if we're being really honest
1: it sounds like I would probably need a 20-hour sleep after watching that, from what said. Um, but I, I you said. Want... I need...
0: Yeah, i took about a 20 minute or in the middle of it, if I'm honest.
1: <laughs> well, it's up to you to decide. If you want to go and see it, it's out in cinemas from today. Um, now, Shotgun Wedding. So this one is Jennifer Lopez and Lenny Kravitz, I believe, and I've interviewed Lenny Kravitz. Nice guy. Yeah, yeah Lenny Kravitz, I will say, is one of the two best things about
0: this movie. The other thing is uh, Jennifer Coolidge, who I know is now known by her own actual name, but can we all just remember for a second that up until about two weeks ago, Jennifer Coolidge was mostly known as Stifler's mom. Yes, of course. Yeah. Jennifer Coolidge, until two weeks ago, was most historically renowned for literally birthing the term MILF. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which, if we want to get really technical about it, you know, only exist only, was literally brought into the world in 1999 by the actor John Cho from Harold and Kumar and Star Trek. Okay, let's let's give some credit to these things. This is not a term the porn industry introduced. The writers of American pie did. And it's all thanks to John Cho and Jennifer Coolidge. So, Lenny Kravitz, Jennifer Coolidge, best things in this film. Yes, I know she's known for White Lotus or whatever it is now. I've not watched it. I'm sure it's great, but it's got all Plaza in it. I'm still traumatized by the his fiance, so I'll get round to watching it at some point <laughs> anyway. Shotgun Wedding, which stars Josh DeMel, aka Poundland Timothy Oliphant, as the fiance, <laughs> the fiance who is marrying Jennifer Lopez. Oh, lucky devil! And you know, he's a lucky devil because this movie has to have that obligatory sequence in which they get Jennifer Lopez in a tiny pair of pants for a needlessly long amount of time uh. and then draw attention to it. They even get to do the booty shake because. Ugh, movie anyway yeah. right interesting thing about this movie it was going to start army hammer until he was sacked from it because apparently rich people really want to be cannibals what yeah uh, google it all i'm saying army hammer really wanted to be a cannibal anyway army hammer got sacked for this and they thought we need someone on the cheap let's get poundland timothy oliphon so as of today amazon prime are in fact streaming this version, it's I say it stars the couple. They're getting married in the Philippines because reasons. He is an ex baseball player for reasons, I presume convenience of plot because there's a moment that comes up later on. And just as they're about to, they're having a little tiff just before the ceremony. Terrorists turn up and take, like pirates in this case. I think they're terrorists or pirates turn up, take the wedding party hostage. Jennifer Coolidge is Timothy is not not Timothy Oliphant. You see, I'm making the mistake now. Jennifer Coolidge is Poundland Timothy Oliphant's mum, hence why she's involved in there. Uh, Lenny Kravitz is uh, Jennifer Lopez's ex-boyfriend who's at the wedding for reasons. And the wedding party are all taken hostage and it falls to the wedding couple to save the wedding. Have a listen. Uh, This is Jennifer Coolidge and Jennifer Lopez and not Timothy Oliphant having a chat pre-wedding. Just so you know, Jennifer Lopez is wearing tiny pants in this scene. Your future mother-in-law, Carol. <laughs> yep, I know your name, Carol. I brought some of the extras for the welcome bags in case you want to make one for Sean. Oh, oh, great, thanks. All right, thanks. me she's not wearing any pants.
1: I just want to ask, and, and I
0: hope it's okay, is that genetics? Or is it
1: like Pilates? Oh, Mom, now's not just- the time. <laughs> oh dear! I, yeah, I mean, you, I can you... see where this has gone wrong with you. I mean, uh, oh. it's um, it sounds like it's it's hard work to
0: watch. It's really hard work. It is exactly one hundred minutes long. It is an hour and forty minutes long. And the only time I laughed, and I do mean I laughed once in this entire movie, the only time I laughed was when I keep calling him not Timothy Oliphant in my head was when Josh DeMel injured himself he he cuts he cuts his own hand rather violently at one point and like there's there's an arterial blood spray and I wanted him to suffer so badly that I cackled maniacally with laughter by that point. I hated this. I hated it so much. This was the worst attempt at a beach wedding since my own. And oh my God, I hated it with the fury of a thousand suns. Jennifer Lopez has never been less appealing as an on-screen presence than she has in this movie. I honestly at one point wished that they'd kept Army Hammer in this because it just would have been interesting to watch him in the background looking at people and licking his lips subtly to himself because it would have at least given the film some semblance of a personality. Darcy Carden from The Good Places in this... Still not a laugh. Still no laughs to be found. There's a dude from one of the sitcoms I liked uh, in this as well. Cheech Marin is in this. Could not save it. There's literally not a laugh to be found in this unless you actively despise not Timothy Oliphant. And want him to make himself bleed to death. Which happens... It feels like Snatched. Do you remember Snatched with Golden Horn and Amy Schumer? This feels like Snatched for people who think Amy Schumer has too much depth as a performer. And believe me, that is a low, low bar. No, this would be about as fun as actually taking a shotgun to your own wedding. It's just no good. And believe me. We almost had another straight-to-streaming comedy to review this week, if not for the fact that the publicist, for some reason, just never got around sending us a, a, a link, which I presume just means Eddie Murphy's new movie is crap. You know, it's an Eddie Murphy Yeah, movie. good Oftentimes, point. Are, if we're being honest. If we'd reviewed that, I would have been interested to see if that was any worse than this. But it would have to try really, really hard, because this absolutely blows... That's the only the only way I can describe it. This sucks hard. It both
1: sucks and blows. It achieves the impossible. Well, I have to say you are always honest with your reviews, but you don't use the word hate very often, <laughs> and that was used there a couple of times. So I'm stepping back. Despise slip out the room now before things really kick off. Uh but you can make your own mind up. <laughs> Shotgun wedding prime video from today. Watch it if you dare <laughs> by the sounds of it. Um and we are dare. gonna be if you dare, yeah. Um, we are gonna be back and we're gonna talk about plane in just a few minutes. So stay right where you are. So we are back for one last ride, sticking with brand new movies out this week, of course, Plane, starring Gerard Butler. And from some discussions we've had off mic tonight, um, I'm guessing you enjoyed this one.
0: Do you know what? I had a great time with Plane. Every pun intended, this movie actually took off. For me, and I've talked, I've talked to people for whom this this really didn't fly. I'm, I'm going to keep going with the horrible plane puns. I'm really sorry. Bear in mind, they did turn the Sydney World in Leicester Square into an actual airport. I saw your movies. pictures;
1: it looked yeah. brilliant.
0: Did you see the video? I stuck a video on TikTok of the actual like air hostesses doing the the safety thing in front of the oh, screen. Yes, the I did. Yeah. Uh, absolutely bonkers. And believe me, the movie absolutely justified it. It was This is such stupid fun. It's worth noting, like, you know, this is a movie you have to pay to see, and it justifies every penny. Shotgun Wedding, you know, you're watching that on, on Prime Video, you've already paid your subscription, so you're effectively seeing it for free. You would still somehow ask for a refund. Deservedly <laughs> so. This whole different thing. So, good old Jerry Butler... Is a pilot. He's a commercial airline pilot who's flying from Asia back to the U.S. And he's, he's transporting, as part of his, as part of his, his complement of passengers, he happens to be transporting a murderer who's in custody. He was oh. extradited, and then they go through a storm, and the plane has to crash. And it, no sooner has it crashed than it happens to have crashed on a pirate island, not unlike the one from Shotgun Wedding. <laughs> Because the plane's been struck by lightning in the in the crash, and the power's fried, whilst, you know, they're trying to, like, get the plane off the ground, they have to go and find a radio. And this is when the, the, the pirates start to realise, oh, well, there's, a, there's a plane crashed on the island. And it falls to Gerard Butler and the murderer to have to actually uh, say, to, have to, have to save the passage. So what you get is part passenger 57 part Die Hard. Have a listen, this is Gerard Butler literally using your know, old school phoning his teenage daughter to tell, to try and get some kind of help. Yeah, sweetheart, it's me. I'm okay, I'm okay. Now don't talk, just listen because we might cut out, okay? Quick, grab something to write with. Danny, not now, Aunt Carrie.
1: Is that your dad? Yes, yes. Danny. Where are you, Brody? Okay, I got it.
0: We've gone down, all right? I want you to write what I say and get it to Trailblazer immediately. Okay. All right. We're on an island, somewhere in the Jolo cluster in the Solar Sea, now we have no radio. And I don't know what
1: island we're on. I do have one question from that. They're on an island in the middle of nowhere, but they've still Mm -hmm. got an EE signal.
0: Well, I mean, his daughter does. His, I, mean, his daughter, I can't remember where his daughter lives in like Hawaii or something. But first of all, there's a moment very early in this. I saw this with, with Zara. You've met Zara a bunch of times. Yes. Um, I was I was sat watching this with Zara, and this is how jaded we are as film critics. There's a moment very early on in which Gerard Butler does that sequence they do in all these pilot movies where the pilot sits in the cockpit in his seat and he meets his co-pilot for the flight. He's never met him before, and they do this thing where they, they he has a picture of his family. He says, oh, is that your uh, your, your family? oh how lovely and then the guy says to, t- to test to old Jerry oh is that your daughter oh she's beautiful her mum must be lovely too and old Jerry says yeah mum passed last year and at that exact moment Zara and I turned to one another and in complete audio sync just went oh, of course she did because action movie, it's one of those, this this could not be any more paint by numbers if it actually came with a watercolour paint kit. Like, it's it's absolutely deranged. And yet somehow, much like Gerard Butler himself, the movie knows what it is. It has absolutely no ideas above its station. It's not trying to be particularly funny. It's not trying to be particularly funny. It's, you know what, we know what we are. We're going to hit the beat. We're going to do it well. That's all we're here to do it well. If we can do an explosion, it's gonna be a big explosion. It's gonna you're gonna feel that fire. You know, if we're gonna do a car chase, oh, this we're gonna have gristle fly, it's gonna be the best car chase, oh! And it, it's a movie that absolutely knows the beats it's going for, and it just goes for them. Fair play. This is not trying to get any ideas above its station whatsoever. So, Gerard Butler may as well just be playing a character named captain jerry butler you know mike Coulter is in there he's literally playing luke cage you get the impression that this was put together and he was cast a couple of years ago back when they were under the mistaken impression that netflix's luke cage might actually lead lead to him becoming an actual star and this yeah. would be a star vehicle it's worth knowing he's pretty good in it um it's directed uh by the director of Marine, parts one and two a few years ago uh jean francois richet i think his name was um it's his supporting cast is not particularly a, a known cast you got Tony Goldwyn in there who's probably best known as being the sleazy best friend from Ghost and President Fitz from Scandal, if you're a shondaland fan. But other than that, yeah, you know what you're getting with with, with playing. I mean, it's titled and people have been taking the mick out of this title, oh, to be honest, the stupidest title. Yeah, it's a stupid movie. It knows it's a stupid movie. That's why it has a stupid title. If they could have called it airline thriller, they probably would have. I mean, it's up there with snakes on a plane in that regard. I hope this thing makes a billion dollars. They're obligated to make a sequel. It's set on a boat, and they have to call it Boat, because it's that kind of a movie. And to be fair, I mean, this I saw this the day, I think it was the day before I saw Babylon, there's a moment towards the end of Babylon where like, you know, the closing of Babylon where like the Fablemans, they make it about the legacy of cinema. And you kind of wish they'd somehow, if they'd had foreknowledge of Plane that they had included just a, a snippet or a little second from Plane Because they do include some certain iconic films at the end of Babylon. Um, You can probably hazard a guess. If you know certain iconic works, you can hazard a guess as to what some of them are. But uh, one of them is my my favourite movie of all time, funnily enough. But um, Plane is kind of emblematic of the film that we need in January. A friend of mine, Andy Meakin, uh, used to run a City World, runs a, a a branch of the light cinema now famously said to me many years ago when we were watching one of the underworld movies that was released in january that every january on the cusp of awards season you need a palate cleanser you need some dumb fun strap on in it's an hour hour 40 hour 45 check your brain have a good time and you need that every january because the next two months are gonna suck and we had the Oscar nominations, I think, the following day after this. And do you know what? He was absolutely right. So fair play, Mr. Meekin. You call it yet again, I think like a decade later. This is the palate cleanser we absolutely needed before. A very, problemat- very uh, formulaic and, in some cases, problematic set of Oscar nominations. Yeah, this is your palate cleanser for the year. If you want that dumb fun, you want that January ride, take a ride on plane. This is the one to see. And I, it, I believe me, this is winning nobody's awards. This is nobody's film of the week except mine. I'm very I'm very sure. This is not getting right in your rave write ups in any broadsheets from anyone in Cardigans. But for me, hell of a time, I'll see this again.
1: Absolutely sounds like the kind of movie that as long as you know what you're getting into, yeah. you'll leave happy. Yeah, well, yeah, you know what? It's, it's, it's a Gerald Butler movie. Don't get it wrong.
0: It's not top five Gerald Butler movies. I mean, this is nowhere near like, as fun as Gamer, for instance, or Law Abiding Citizen, which, I mean, Law Abiding Citizen is the best. Gerald Butler, Yeah. Movie, everyone yeah, knows yeah, yeah. that. And it's not, even, it's not even particularly as good as the remake of Death Race. But, oh, no, hang on. That was Statham. See, I'm confusing. I'm confusing my action stars there. Sorry, that one was Statham. I'll I, I remember the Gerald Butler equivalent. It's because Gamer and Death Race are so interchangeable at times. But uh, that's it. Actually, I would go so far as Say that, like, they are now rivaled for me. Jared Butler and uh, Jason Statham think, are rivaled as the two definitive, you know, action stars of this particular niche of the subgenre this century. But I think Butler might be overtaking him at this stage.
1: I would definitely watch this just because it's got Gerard Butler in anyway. but I think you, you've sold it to me. Something that you can just sit back, knock back and, and relax and enjoy. Like you say, palate cleanse is a really good way of putting it. So um, mm. I like it. I like that. All right. Well, that's in cinemas from today. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground with a lot of new movies. We're going to be back on Friday, February the 3rd, when we're going to be looking at She Is Love
0: yep she is love new, well, apparently quite acclaimed I look forward to watching that one one that is strangely well reviewed though and this came out before Christmas in the US this got a lot of love and wound up getting not only a higher critic score but a higher audience score on Rotten Tomatoes than a certain other sequel that happened to come out the week before which was Avatar and, Wow! Uh, this, is, this is Puss in Boots The Last Wish which I actually watched over Christmas so I can tell you yeah, it's a, it's a better movie than Avatar: The Way of Water. I'll I'll tell you that much. And did actually terrify my uh, my, my best friend's seven year old son. So you know. You can, you can see what I want. Uh, I'll, I'll get you the link for this. You, you got go watch this with uh, with Albert. I think you'd enjoy this. Um, we've also got The Whale next week with uh, Brendan Fraser. This is this got him his Best Actor nomination. The Renaissance is here. I'm here for it. Please give the Encino Man his Oscar. Please give the star of California Man and George of the Jungle, and most importantly, the Mummy Trilogy, his Best Actor Oscar. And we're going to see the film for ourselves next week. We have also got the Chumba Wumba documentary... I get knocked down. <laughs> I can't this. wait for this. I, I, I can't wait. I mean, I mean, wouldn't it be great if they served you drinks during this documentary? It was a whiskey drink, a vodka drink, a lager drink. Oh,
1: Why you stole you? my joke. I was oh. about to say, what kind of drink, Van? A whiskey drink, a vodka drink, a lager drink? But, you know, it, never mind.
0: In, indeed. Well, you know, I am seeing Magic Mike, I think, next week as well. And the, the last time we did one of those, uh, well, we're not reviewing that next week, it's not the week after. The last time uh, we did a screening for a Magic Mike movie, they did serve en- us uh, endlessly refillable cosmopolitans from Oh wow! So you know, there's there's a precedent for this. Uh, Next week, we have also got the uh, the Polish-based donkey film EO, which is literally a (laughs) Polish movie about a donkey. Yeah. So EO, (laughs) uh, EO, yeah, yeah. And so, so next week we have literally got Puss in Boots and a donkey. So we're keeping the Shrek theme alive and. Not to bury the lead, of course, The Return of M. Night Shyamalan in a movie starring Dave Bautista and Rupert Grint. Knock at the Cabin is out next week, which I'm very much looking forward to Give me any movie with Bautista, but particularly a Shyamalan one. looking forward to seeing what he's got.
1: Well, lots for us to talk about next week and you've got plenty of movies to get watching, Van, so we'll uh, be talking about all of those. Uh, But until then, I've been Adam Ball I've been Van Conner, and we shall return.